Okay, so today, believe it or not, we're continuing with our eight essential elements of the Biblical Christian Gospel series. This is our 110th lesson. We are on element seven, the letter O, subpoint E. And we've been looking at the pattern of the five first steps of entering the kingdom of Christ, which are listed under Roman numeral two. If you want to look at the eight essential elements that we've been covering in this series, we're in element seven. They're listed in your outline under Roman numeral one. And this is uh, our 24th week just on uh, element three called Baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we're kind of running a series, Baptized in the Holy Spirit series. This is chapter 13, although this is the 24th message because there was 12 A, B, C, and D, and E, and now there's 13 A, B, C, D, and E. And third, uh, next week, I think we're going to make it to chapter 14. But uh, so um, what we've been trying to get at the last few weeks is I'm calling Pentecost Pinnacle Plenitude Pledge of God's Purpose and Promise. So uh, six or seven uh P words. Now, that's kind of a common thing in a lot of Christian thematic teaching. You know, like some churches teach uh, on topics or themes, and some churches teach uh, like we do at 1030 in what's called an expository way, where you cover whole books of Scripture one chapter at a time or so forth. And um, both both are needed if the thematic teaching is limited to major themes. It's, you know, like what, uh, or uh, sometimes current themes that uh, the ch- church needs some attention on or something like that. But we, uh, in, in any case, um, thematic teachings tend to like uh, three C's or four R's. Or, and I, I tend not to like that, but this, uh, uh, this lent itself so well to that that I decided to go with it. So let's look at these words, Pentecost, Pinnacle, Plenitude, Purposes, Plans, promise, and so forth. So, um, which I believe adds up to seven total words uh, that start with a P. So Pentecost, I want to talk a little bit about Pentecost. Uh, Colossians 2, 16 and 17 in the English Standard Version says this, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink, food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. The festival referred to there is not like the St. Helens Festival <laughs> or something. It's the festivals of the Old Testament, the three festivals uh, that Israel celebrated per year and so forth. So, um, and of course, Leviticus 23, for example, if you want to, is a, is a chapter all about the Sabbath and how it was to be celebrated in the major festivals and how they were to be celebrated and what their historical origin was because all of them celebrated something God had done in history and they were all foreshadowings of Christ and what God would do in Christ. So Passover, of course, celebrated what God did in, uh, in passing over the Israelites when he killed all the firstborn of Egypt because he directed his covenant people to put the, the, the blood of, the, of a spotless lamb in the shape of a cross on the doorpost of their houses. And, uh, of course, all of that is a foreshadowing. Of, that's why John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus, says, Behold the Lamb of God, he means the Passover lamb, that, Christ, that Passover is a foreshadowing of Christ. And the whole te- Old Testament is structured that way. And the way the apostles understood the New Testament was the New Testament was the unveiling of what all the various types and foreshadowings of Christ that are contained everywhere in the Old Testament are all about. So we're going to touch on that more deeply today. Um, Then he goes on to say, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance, which the Greek word there is soma, which some of you might recognize the word like psychosomatic, uh, which is a... uh, a psychological root to a bodily illness, because soma means body, uh, belongs to Christ. Uh, the, new, uh, the New American Standard, the English Standard, and the New King James all translate that word substance. I actually like the New English translation. It translates that word uh, uh, reality, 
So let's look at the word shadow and substance in the Greek uh, for a minute. Shadow um, is, of course, uh, the word, I have it listed there somewhere, I thought, in the Greek. Didn't I put it in the Greek somewhere? I guess I eliminated that for space's sake. Um, the Greek word means an image cast by an object and representing the form of, a, of the object, that is, a sketch or an outline. Uh, an image that's made by an object and represents the form of the object. And basically, the, the Bible is saying the whole Old Testament is filled with shadows of Christ. Every festival is a shadow of Christ. Every structure, tabernacle, temple, etc., was a foreshadowing of Christ. Uh, Noah's Ark was a foreshadowing of Christ in his church, so forth. Uh, many, many, many of the great patriarchs and figures of the Old Testament are shadows. And that, the, but you have to understand that the, the shadow is only made possible because there's a greater reality already. You know, Christ, although he had not become incarnate and had not been revealed to men, Christ nevertheless is the eternally begotten Son of God, and all of God's purposes were to foreshadow him through these things, right? So this is what Paul is saying in Colossians. He's given us actually a hermeneutical principle or a paradigm of how to interpret the whole Old Testament. Okay? Now, substance is uh, in... In it, like we pointed out in NET is reality, and the Greek word soma um, means body, and that's kind of in contrast, like when Paul talks to the, in 1 Corinthians, he talks about how he was giving them milk and not meat, that is not flesh, not body. So milk is kind of the theological underpinnings, and uh, it, it might be what you might call orthodoxy, whereas the meat is orthopraxy. In all true orthopraxy, all right living, all right worship, all, all right uh, lifestyle comes out of right beliefs and right worship. And so um, what uh, this verse Paul is appealing to is the basic structure of all his letters and the basic structure of the whole Bible. He's saying... Uh, you know, if you look at Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, he lays down the theology of the gospel uh, and, and its implications for God calling a people unto himself. And then in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, he teaches us how to live as that people called unto God himself. In Romans, three times he presents an argument for the gospel, Romans 1 through 4, Romans 5 through 8, and Romans 9, 10, and 11. Then in Romans 12 through 16, he tells us, therefore, as a result of these uh, mysteries, present your bodies as living and holy sacrifices, which is your reasonable or right service of worship as a result of all these truths. So the shadow or the milk would be another image for it, or uh, the foreshadowing, um, it gets us ready uh, the skeleton is what's necessary to carry the muscle. If you don't have, you can't be, uh, part of the reason that the body of Christ can be weak at times is because we're not building on the right skeleton, which is the right truth of Christ. And so um, this is kind of important. So it's kind of important for us to understand what Pentecost was in the Old Testament because Pentecost in the New Testament is an ongoing. There wasn't just one Pentecost in, in the Old Testament. There was a constant celebration of Pentecost. And indeed, every day is Pentecost. Okay, so it's kind of important for us to take a look at what Pentecost was. Now, I don't know how to pronounce, to pronounce Hebrew word Shavuot, uh, Feast of Weeks, uh, Feast of Harvest, Feast of First Fruits, or sometimes in, uh, to Jewish people, they'll often call it la the latter first fruits. Uh, it's mentioned in Exodus 34, 22 for the first time. You shall celebrate the Feast of Weeks, the first fruits of the wheat harvest, and the Feast of Ingathering at the turn of the year. Now, that gives us some real clues to what it, the meaning is. It's a, it's a feast that celebrates God's great harvest. 
in that although Israel had uh, agricultural harvests that they were celebrating, those agricultural harvests were just a shadow. The substance was the great harvest that God would bring about through his son Jesus Christ throughout all the nations. Leviticus 23, 15 and 16 uh, give us, you shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. Now, that specifically mentions that it's 50 days after Passover, because the way the Hebrews counted it was seven Sabbaths, seven weeks of seven, and then following day. And uh, it's mentioned, I, I have a list of uh, four other Old Testament passages there and three New Testament passages, which are not the only places where Passover is mentioned, but that would give you a healthy start toward understanding it if you took the time to read those. Now, um, Pentecost is also the celebration of the day that Moses brought down the Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai to the people of Israel on tablets of stone. And again, that's a foreshadowing. If you remember, the mountain was filled with fire and smoke and the awesome fear of God. And only Moses could go up on it, which is a foreshadowing. Moses tells us that God will raise up a prophet just like himself and that you shall do everything that he says. And whoever does not obey that prophet shall be cut off from his people. That's, of course, a, pro a prophecy of Jesus Christ. And Moses, as a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, is the only one who can go up into the immediate presence of God until he accomplished atonement and opened the way for us to do it. Now we're all invited to Mount Sinai. And when he brought the, the, the tablets down, the law was written on tablets of stone outside of human hearts, commanding us from the outside, whereas Christ said, don't think that I came to abolish the law, but I came to put it into force, is what the Greek means when it says I came to fulfill it. That is, he came to write it on tablets of human hearts so that it would become your inward desire and motivation, and by the power of his Holy Spirit, you would be empowered by his resurrection to do it. He came to, be, to fulfill the law. That's why Romans 10.4 says he's the telos, the telos of the law. That is the end, the goal. He's the summation of the law. He is the law and the prophets. And when Christ comes into our life, and when we're empowered in the baptism in the Holy Spirit, we the baptism in the Holy Spirit is a foretaste of the power of his resurrection working in our lives. That's why the, that it, it followed uh, uh, 10 days after the ascension. And that's why he said, don't leave Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father. Because as we're going to see today, all the promises of God find their, their fulfillment in Christ and in his redemption. But as we're grafted into the people of God, the veil is torn in two from top to bottom, the Holy Spirit was uh, like in the Old Testament when they poured out the Holy Spirit, uh, the anointing oil on kings. The Holy Spirit was poured on Christ when He was coronated, when He sat at the Father's right hand to rule and reign uh, forever in the universe. That Holy Spirit was poured out into the earth, and that became Pentecost, and it's still pouring, and it will pour until it fills the whole earth, because the anointing oil poured down the priest's head in his beard and robe, down the king's priest's head and robe, into the ground below them, signifying the, the, the area in which the king exercised his domain. And it will continue to pour until his domain is from sea to sea, from one, to the four corners of the earth, over every land, nation, peoples, tribe, tongue, and, and all of creation. And until every aspect of creation has been significantly altered and restored to its original purpose that was lost at the fall. That's why the Bible tells us the lion will lie down with the lamb and so forth. And these are not things that are going to happen after the second coming of Christ. 
These are the things that bring about the second coming of Christ. These are what we as the church are to be about. So, um, uh, Pentecost, therefore, contains two biblical types or two biblical foreshadowings. In other words, there's a double fulfillment in Christ. One is it's the ultimate, when you receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father, uh, which we demonstrated in chapter 12, is initially uh, in uh, starts with giving, be, being given a prayer language to speak in unknown tongues, but it continues with many fillings until you learn to lean and walk on the power, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Many people get initially baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, but don't go on to live a life yielded to the Holy Spirit. What, the reason he took Jesus through the wilderness right after his baptism in the Spirit was because we're all to go through a wilderness and we're to, to learn what Paul said, I would rather boast in my weaknesses, for when I'm weak, Christ is strong. We learn to walk no longer out of the power of performance, out of the power of self-reliance. Uh, that's why God allows vigorous young men to stumble badly. Isaiah 40, 28, do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not grow weary or tired. His understanding is immeasurable, inscrutable. To those who lack might, he increases power. Though vigorous young men stumble badly, he, those who wait on the Lord, those who learn to lean on his power and live out of his resurrection by the power of the Holy Spirit, will mount up with wings like eagles. They'll, he'll renew their youth, and they'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. God wants to take you to the point where your own strength fails. So that you'll net, your strength will never fail because it will always be his strength. If you, if you meet a real man of God, you should be amazed at what they can accomplish. Because, not because they have anything in themselves. Because they have nothing in themselves. And they've learned to walk in the power of his resurrection. When you think about guys like Paul, for instance, since we mentioned him before... I mean, the guy is stoned to, to the point where they think he's dead. And as soon as he gains his consciousness back, he goes back into the city to keep preaching. Like, hey, that was a good meeting. Let's get some more of that. You know, praise the Lord. And he's, in, you know, he's, he's locked in chains in jail. And he, he says, hey, this looks like a good place for worship meeting. It's going to be a little hard playing the guitar, but, uh, <laughs> but we can sing a cappella. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, if I could just get these chains off, somebody could play violin. But, but um, you know, most of us are in bed by midnight, uh, not in jail. Which is probably good sometimes. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, Pentecost is the ultimate writing of the fiery presence of God into the hearts of men. God's intention from all eternity was to take the full sanctuary of heaven, a place where there's no need for light because the Lamb is the light, where there's uh, the oxygen of the of the entire realm is the pres the fantastic, holy, awesome cloud, fire, water presence of the Holy Spirit and bring that to earth through his people. And Pentecost is the, is the first foretaste of that. Now, it's also the fulfillment of the, the Feast of First Fruits, as, Exodus, as we already read in Exodus. The Feast of Ingathering. Uh, that's why in Acts 2, the scripture specifically mentions 17 nations. Now, most of you have counted and only gotten 16, and you're like, why is Brother Greg say 17 when they're 16? Has anybody ever had that thought? Or none of you have been late? Y'all been too lazy to count. <laughs> well, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully you've counted and to see if I'm right or not, and you've gotten 16. Because you're, often most people are not counting Israel. 
But, of course, it started with the Israelites in that particular, and most of the people who were baptized in the Holy Spirit in Acts 2 were Israelites. And then 16 other nations are listed. Now, that's not by accident, because the number 17 in the Bible is representative of all the nations. And what God was saying in, in the day of Pentecost is that what I prophesied from Genesis 3, the seed of the woman is both Christ and every person descended from a woman. Anyone here not born of a woman? <laughs> we could talk after church. <laughs> you, you might need a different kind of ministry, like if you were hatched from an egg or something. But uh, as Paul says, in the Lord, neither is man independent of woman, right? Because every, everyone was born of a mother, so um, Eve, the seed crushing the serpent, is both Christ and it applies to God's redemption coming to all peoples. When Abraham was called to be a people for God's own possession, it was promised that in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And the amazing thing about Israel in the time of Jesus, not the the uh, Jews that lived in Palestine, now this wasn't true of the, Hel the Hellenized Jews throughout the Roman Empire. Most Hellenized Jews throughout the Roman Empire had people from various nations in their synagogues and they weren't as prejudiced and they understood part of God's purpose was to bring the law of God and the light of God and so forth to all nations. But most Jews who lived in Israel hated the Gentiles. That's why they were sacrificing and s or selling doves, and so forth, in the court of the Gentiles. Jesus isn't upset, you know, like because we have a bookstore. <laughs> He's not upset that they're selling. He's upset that they don't see any purpose for the court of the Gentiles, or they're using it for a purpose it wasn't designated for. It was designated to reach out to the Gentiles and to bring them through the process of going through the outer courts to the inner courts to the Holy of Holies. And Israel had no heart for the Gentiles in their heart. Over and over and over again throughout Scripture, God judges them for that. So many churches get turned inward. Believe it or not, there are Christians who hardly ever share the gospel with someone outside the church. There are Christians who've never led anyone to Christ, if you can believe that. That is... An, that's an, 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 I don't know, what's, what's the word? Not oxymorons. It's... Something that shouldn't happen. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, what is it? It's an enigma. It's something. It's, it's not what's supposed to happen. Um, it's an aberration, I guess is probably a good word for it. For a, a Christian that's not making disciples uh, is, is probably allowable when you're a baby Christian and you're still an infant drinking your mother's milk. But as you become an adolescent, guess what? You have to conduct yourself in certain ways not to have children. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? That comes with adolescence. Right? That's true spiritually. If, if you're a spiritual adolescent, you should be birthing new people into Christ. Or something is horribly disformed uh, in... in uh, you have some kind of spiritual birth defect in your approach to God. So Pentecost is for the empowering of taking the message and the blessings of God and the law of God and the reconciliation in Christ and the worship of God and Christian community and discipleship and all the counsels of God to, ever, to, to the ends of the earth, to all tribes, tongues, peoples, and nations. That's why God baptized you in the Holy Spirit. Now, what's important to understand is in the, in, in the day of Pentecost, Pentecost came to 120 people, but then that created a crowd, and that crowd uh, uh, heard Peter, his representative, preach Christ, and 3,000 were added. And Peter tells them in verse 39 of Acts 2, the promise, which clearly from Acts 1, 3, 4, 5, 
means the promise of being baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. That promise is for you and your children, which is Bible speak for all generations. It's for all who are far off, which is Bible speak for the whole earth. And in case that's not clear, it's for as many as our Lord shall call to himself. The, the gifts of the Spirit, the cessationists will be right whenever God stops calling people to himself. Knowledge will cease, tongues will cease, prophecy will cease when God stops calling him, people to himself after the second coming of Christ. That's when cessationist uh, thinking will actually be true because we won't know in part anymore or prophesy in part. We'll know fully. And God won't have to tell Amber Johnson, uh, share with Pastor Greg this scripture verse. Uh, he needs to hear this anymore because oh, I won't be hard of hearing anymore. Won't that be great? <laughs> You're all praying for that, aren't you? <laughs> you know, the reason that there are gifts, there, there is tongues is because we, know, we have, don't pray fully. We need a prayer language to pray spirit to spirit completely and, fi and, and not finitely to the Lord. The reason there's prophecy is because we have hearing problems. Through, for a number of reasons. Sometimes it's because our spirit's too busy. Sometimes it's because we have, you know, a dog in the fight, so to speak. Like when, you, you know, that's why love is blind, deaf, dumb, and stupid. Because when you're personally involved, it's hard to hear. That's why you need the Holy Spirit. That's why you need Scripture. That's why you need your brothers and sisters to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you want to pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, make sure you pray that it will come out of the whole church so that they'll speak the words you need to hear. Right? So, uh, pinnacle. Let's keep moving. I got through one word. <laughs> now, understand that it's very clear from Acts 8, Acts 9, Acts 10, Acts 19, the outpouring of Pentecost is every day. Paul says one man observes uh, special days, another man observes uh, every day. And the truth of the Bible is a both-and thing. Every day is the Lord's day. Every day is resurrection day. Every day is the day of salvation. Now, that doesn't mean we don't observe the church calendar and, re and use that as God intended in Israel to revisit and, and teach uh, and relive the major events of Christ's life. That's why we do the church calendar in this church. That's why God ordained the church calendar in the Old Testament. In the, in the New Testament, apostolic fathers followed that idea because it's scriptural. But every day is Christmas. Every day is Easter. Every day is resurrection. And every day is Pentecost. Yet guess what you need to do every morning? You need to revisit Christmas, the resurrection, the ascension, and Pentecost. And you need to have that happen in you every day. Revisit the gospel and re-get stirred up. And you, your prayer language is a tool for that. Daily scripture study is a tool for that. Not so you can be more accepted by God but because you're already received by God and you're already a son or daughter and you're already forgiven and you're already seated at the Father's right hand and you need to get your marching orders for the day. You need that intimacy and because the things God's called you to do today are impossible. God's, that's why Paul rebuked the Corinthians for walking like mere men. At the end of the day, can you look back at your day and said, you know, a normal human being could have done what I did today. That shouldn't be the case for a Christian. There should be quite a few things that day that God did in and through you that you could say only the resurrection of Jesus Christ, only the power of Pentecost could bring this about. No one could maintain that attitude in the midst of their boss acting this way or, or whatever. You know, no one could have... Uh, cast out those demons without the power of his resurrection or whatever he's called you to do that day. No one who could have resisted those donuts <laughs> without the power of his resurrection. 
They were unleavened donuts. No, <laughs> no, they weren't. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, all right, so let's go on to Pinnacle. We talked a little bit about Pinnacle last week, so I'll try to be quick. The highest or culminating point. In Matthew 4, 5, then the devil took him. Now, I left the asterisks in there, so in case you don't know this, for those of you who read the New American Standard, it has a nice little feature. The asterisks helps you with the Greek tense to say that it's an aorist, uh, present, perfect, ongoing kind of thing. So it really means it, it, it brings you into the story. It brings it into the present continuing. So it says, then the devil taking him into the holy city because he wants you to go on the journey with him. Okay? So if, that's just a, no extra charge today. Um, the, the devil taking him into the holy city and, and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. Now, you need to understand the proper place of the temple in biblical thought is, again, God's eternal heavens are the temple of God. And the purpose for creating Eden and creating the earth was to bring the temple of God to the earth through a people for his own possession. And so the, the tabernacle, the garden of Eden, the ark of, the, of Noah, the tabernacle in the wilderness, Solomon's temple... Ezekiel's vision of a temple, the rebuilt temples under Ezra and Nehemiah, all of these are a foreshadowing of the true tabernacle, which John 1 tells us, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. That's what the Greek means. Because they're a foreshadowing of Christ, who's the ultimate tabernacle. But then he's so audacious as to say at the Last Supper, if I go, it's to your advantage that I go, Olga, because if I go, I will send the helper to you, right? That's what she's excited about every day. I happen to know Olga's pretty excited about that every day, uh, as lots of us hopefully are. <laughs> and uh, when I send the helper to you, uh, the, then the body of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit, will start to become the, everywhere in every nation. It'll be that community of believers that he's called unto himself in East Poughkeepsie and Grand Rapids, and Des Moines, and even Dayton, Ohio. Imagine that. Whoa! Uh, <laughs> uh, that's where the tabernacle of God is now with men. And when Revelation says the tabernacle of God came in New Jerusalem and all that, he's not talking about some future event. He's talking about what happened at Pentecost. The temple of God began to descend into the earth and be disseminated among all the nations. That's why there's 17 nations, and 17 is a biblical, uh, what they call a triangular number. If you add 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4 plus all, all the way up to 17, you get 153, which is why there was 153 fish when Jesus told the disciples uh, and when they again, just like they in, in their early first time they were called by Jesus, they had fished all night and not gotten any fish. And Jesus was demonstrated that he's the ultimate fisherman, even though they thought he was a carpenter. And he says, let down your nets again, and they get a harvest so big they can't contain it. And they have to call the other boats. Couldn't that amazing if you like had a harvest so big you have to call the other churches? Can you help us? we got too many people. <laughs> That'll be the day. That will be the day, and, it, and it's coming. And uh, at, after the resurrection, when Jesus appears to them, guess what? They fished all night again. Maybe they were rusty from following Jesus. I don't know. <laughs> but, but they fished all night, and they hadn't caught anything. And he tells them to let down their nets again, and they catch 153 large fish which is Jesus' way of saying, I'm about to send you fishing. And I'm going to send you fishing to every nation, tongue, tribe, and people, every corner of the earth. And, that when, at, and when Abraham was told to look to the four directions, the four corners, and where as far as his eye could see would be the promises of God, that was Israel, but that was a foreshadowing of the four corners being the ends of the whole earth. That's the ultimate land of God. Now, um, so the proper place of the temple in biblical thought is the center of the universe. And 
uh, what the devil is trying to do with Jesus is he's trying to say, uh, I want to bring about this mission by and, and take, have you take a shortcut to get there. Ever, ever had that? that? That's why you cheat when you're in grade school on test or something, right? Or, or you get the encyclopedia out and, you, and you're supposed to be writing a paper and you just recopy it in your own words, right? <laughs> you know, that's called a shortcut. You know, <laughs> that's why I, you know, like I, I was called by God to work out and so I prayed about it until the feeling went away. But, <laughs> you, know, G, you know, Jesus uh, is, is being offered an alternate route that doesn't go through Gethsemane. It doesn't go through Golgotha in a trial and, and so forth. And the church is constantly, you know, you, it's amazing that among people who, are, who are, believe in the sovereignty of God, people who are Reformed, people who are Calvinistic, you often find no evangelistic outreach, which is amazing because basically they take an attitude, well, whatever God's going to do, it's going to be inevitable. Right? And that's actually what the temptation was to Jesus. Well, if you're the son of God, God will, God, that's, that's called testing the Lord. Just because the kingdom is going to fill the whole earth doesn't mean we don't have to daily be faithful. We are not responsible for success. We are responsible for obedience. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter how big our church is or how big the budget is or whatever. It matters how much we love the Lord and, and show that love by our, taking up our crosses that he gave us that day, obeying him and doing the ministry he's given us to do. Faithfulness. Plenitude. Uh-oh. Uh, I'm going to go to 12 o'clock. No, uh, plenitude. I, I am tempted to start at 9 some days. A condition of being full or complete, fullness in quantity, measure, or degree, abundance. This is to say that the promised baptism of the Holy Spirit is the culmination, it's the apex, it's the climax, it's the delta, I added that from last week. You know what a delta is? It's a place where all these tributaries of rivers, it rains up in the mountains and there's little trickles and it starts to, and then this huge Mississippi River uh, in you know where New Orleans is has a huge delta. It's the place where everything comes together. It's the the it's the climax. It's the end of the story. And so today, evangelicals wrongly say the whole Bible's about redemption, but right, redemption's a subset to becoming the temple of God. It's a stepping stone to Pentecost. And Pentecost is a stepping stone to, to every day having Pentecost and living the power of his resurrection to looking like Jesus did after Pentecost. After he was baptized in the Spirit and after he went through the wilderness, he began to proclaim the kingdom of God is at hand, to make disciples, to cast out demons, to heal the sick, and to preach the gospel to the poor. That's where it's all culminating, in a people for God's own possession who will fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the seas. Um, that's why it, Jesus is called seven times in the New Testament, I'm sorry, six times in the New Testament, he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit in fire. You know, I was privileged to be in the room last week when Abigail Burst got baptized with the Holy Spirit. And uh, one thing that's so clear is that Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Right? Now, we're like Ananias was privileged to be used of God. Remember, we talked about that last week when he even argued with God, like, why are you sending me to Paul? But do you remember what he said when he first got to to Paul? He said... Brother Paul, the Lord Jesus has sent me so that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one doing this. Now, he has chosen to show his greater glory by using the likes of us. But we can't heal anyone. We can't lead anyone to Christ. We can't birth a raisin, let alone, you know, fruit. Birth this little dried up shriveled thing. <laughs> Can't even do that. Uh, 
So that's important. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, By one spirit we were all baptized into one body. The Holy Spirit brings us into that people for God's possession. One of the things that should happen when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit and when you get filled with the Holy Spirit again and again and again is you should begin to discern your place in a community of people to do the things of God. And as much as possible, we should try to connect with and work with other Christians as well. Pledge. We talked a little bit about this recently. So let's, you know, it means down payment, guarantee, earnest money. There's some verses, three of them, that tell us that the Holy Spirit is a pledge. He's a down payment. He's like the engagement ring. You know, I always say that to the young ladies. Make sure he's got a nice ring, and make sure that ring is not on credit. <laughs> make sure he's got the kind of income and, and, and savings and, and frugality and wisdom financially that he could afford to pay for it. The baptism in the Spirit is a foretaste of the powers of the age to come, as Hebrews 10 29 tells us. And it's a sealing. Sealing is such an important thing. We talked a little bit about that. Uh, you know, letters were, were sealed. Um, I love the idea of a seal. Uh, if anyone wants to watch one of my favorite movies, watch a movie called The Scarlet Pimpernel. And uh, seals, the, his uh, seal ring plays a prominent role as he seals letters with, with wax and so forth. Purposes. Uh, God has eternal decrees. If you uh, listen to our Kingdom of God series, which we only got through three chapters out of 15, but they're on the podcast way back several years. And we're, when we, if we ever finish this series, I'm hoping to do the Kingdom of God series. But uh, chapter 3 was called um, Major Biblical Themes. And if you haven't learned to think in terms of major biblical things, you have to. You'll get nothing out of the Bible. As my mom used to say, you're going to get nothing and you're going to like it. No, <laughs> no you'll get nothing uh, out of the Bible if you don't learn how to think in terms of Christ and major themes. One of which is that God has a purpose from all eternity because he's outside and above time and he knows the end from the beginning and he's declared it from the beginning. And getting baptized in the Holy Spirit in, in to, to the point where there will be peoples that, who are temples baptized in the Holy Spirit in every city, every town, every country, every place in all the earth is God's ultimate declared purpose. It's all over those the verses I've listed there. Exodus 19, 5 and 6, that you'll be a, my own possession among all the peoples. There's a major theme of the Bible is there's always two people groups. There's the descendants of Cain and so forth. There's the, the God-haters and the murderers and the adulterers and so forth. And then there's the people of, for God's possession. And what it means to become a Christian is not just to pray a sinner's prayer, but it means to transfer families. No longer is your natural family first. God's family is first. First Peter 2, 5 and 9 quotes Exodus 19, 5 and 6. Uh, Job 4, 42, 2 is about plans. Proverbs 16, 4 is about plans. Isaiah 46, 10 that he is very clear. He declares the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, that, in other words, God summarizes. It's like a speech where they tell you, this is what I'm going to say. <laughs> and then at the end, now I've said it. Uh, God does that all through the Bible. Because he already knows the outcome. And he's not biting his fingernails, and he's not relying on what he can accomplish only after the second coming of Christ. Anytime, you, as Charles Spurgeon taught us, anytime you start putting a great deal of what God's going to accomplish in the earth as something that will happen only after a geopolitical cataclysmic event, then you've actually gutted the faith of its power and content and purpose. 
the, the very fact that over 95% of evangelical Christians believe that is one of the scariest facts in the world today. It means, like God said, shall I do this without telling my servant Abraham? The Bible says the Lord does nothing without telling his servants the prophets. It means that most of the people of God are not actually the friends of God. You know what? I knew that dispensational premillennialism was wrong when I was a Christian one month. I read through the New Testament the first time. I read the book of Acts 40 times in my first three months of being a Christian. Sometimes I would read the whole book every day. And I'd say, wait a minute. All these people are declaring all this negativity and how great the Antichrist is and how great darkness is and will we be left behind and, and all this nonsense. And that doesn't bear witness to the Holy Spirit I received, nor to the Scriptures. The Scriptures say the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the water comes to the seas. Isaiah 2 says it will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. All nations will come to the rising of the children of God. This is not what Scripture says. Scripture is not scared of the future. The reason we don't let our kids grow up and, and, and become adults is because we're scared of the world. We have too small a God in our mind and heart because we're idol worshipers in our own mind and heart and we don't know what his word really teaches When, you're, when you know what God teaches, you prepare, you, you prepare your sons and daughters spiritually and, uh, and physically for war. And you release them into the battle. Not when they're two years old. But you don't wait to send them into the battle till they're like 16 or 18. You start sending them into the battle when they're 9 and 12. In measured increments. And that includes, you know, letting them start to control their own finances and how they cut their hair and what they're, you know, what they're going to pursue as a career and, and what talents they're getting and all kind of things. You, you, do, you do that while they're still at home. Well, you, you know, so that when they get ready for, to go off to college or the world, you know that 85% of evangelical Christians fall away from Christ when they're in college? 85% of people who say they're a, a born-again evangelical Christian their freshman year of college, by their own de declaration, say, I'm no longer a, a Christian by their, by their senior year in college. Because we are afraid of the world instead of teaching our children how to conquer the world. The most radical Christian groups should be on secular college campuses. The most radical Christians should, you know, we shouldn't have to send our kids to Bible colleges because we're still afraid of the world. We should, you know, I don't believe in sending my kids to public school when they're, when they're young. Maybe not till the end of high school, who knows. But, but they need to eventually be equipped to engage the world with real jobs and real finances and, and know how to declare the kingdom of God and how to cast out demons and how to uh, handle your finances biblically and how... How to make disciples. They need to know how to make disciples when they're teenagers. While they're still in your home and you're kind of counseling them how to lead people to Christ. I'm very happy to say all my kids made their first converts to Christ. Logan was led to Christ by my son in seventh grade. Out of a terrible family and background. I remember when my, it's late, but I want to tell this story anyway, because this is kind of a hot button for me right now. But um, I remember my daughter Carla coming into my office one night and saying, Dad, I didn't tell you because I knew you wouldn't like this, but I've been on the phone every night with a kid that's in a gang, and he just received Christ. And he's starting to read the Bible, and he's, and he's on fire for God. And uh, this, this kid was a kid that went to her Christian school but had totally rejected his Christian upbringing and he was actually in a gang with guns and drugs and the whole bit. And she led him to Christ on the phone every night for three months. And 
she goes, I figured you'd be afraid of that. <laughs> and I said, no, I wouldn't. Pray to God, let's, uh, I'll help you. I'm so glad. Uh, lastly, promises, uh, the word epigenalia, announcements, pledges, guarantees, especially of a divine assurance, a good favor, message, plan, or purpose. Pentecost is for everyone that's called to be a follower, a disciple of Christ, that is a Christian. That's, there's, you know, we've created these two categories where those Christians, and then there's this optional extra of being a disciple. Please read the book by uh, Dallas Willard called The Great Omission, Reclaiming the Essential Elements of Jesus' Teachings on Discipleship. There is no biblical basis to say that it's optional to go on to be a radical disciple of Jesus. You're either one or you're not a Christian. That's, there's no middle ground in the Bible. There, and there's no biblical basis for that kind of thinking that you can punch a ticket to heaven and just keep enjoying your hellacious, worldly, fleshly, demonic life until you uh, go to heaven because you don't really want to go on to become a disciple of Jesus. That is not a Christian. That is not a convert. That is a great deception that, that the church that is supposed to be the pillar and support of the truth has fostered on the culture around us. The church has become the pillar and support of deception that you can pray a sinner's prayer and that you're eternally secure even if you're externally impure. If there's no life, if there's no repentance, if there's no conviction of sin, if there's no uh, discipleship, if there's no progress in sanctification, there's no conversion. And you're not a Christian. You've just been deceived into a message that, that our flesh really likes. I can live for the devil, the world, the flesh, and my selfish idolatry pleasures and still go to heaven. Uh, every follower of Christ is, desire, is, uh, is called to the pinnacle or the zenith, the plenitude, the completeness, in pledge form of all God's purposes and promises that are fulfilled by Jesus when he baptizes you in the Holy Spirit and begins to baptize you again and again and again in the Holy Spirit until you walk in the power of his resurrection. Amen.